Welcome to the Seven Hills Church Podcast with Marcus Mika. We're excited you're here listening as Pastor Marcus is about to bring an incredible teaching that is sure to inspire, motivate, and lift you up. You can visit us on our website at sevenhillschurch.tv or download our free Seven Hills Church app to watch or listen to more exclusive content. Thank you for tuning in and we hope you enjoyed the message. glad that you're here with us on Easter weekend. It does mean the world to us that you'd spend some time with us, and uh, we're really believing that this service will be meaningful to each and every one of you, and we believe God can do that. He can specifically arrange uh, the service and speak to you personally, and we're praying that that happens today. No matter where you're at in your walk with God or your faith, we're really believing that God will uniquely and individually, powerfully speak to each one of you. And so we're really, really glad that you're here. I actually heard a really touching story this week. A family had traveled to Israel, and uh, when they got there, unfortunately, the mother-in-law passed away. And so the family had to make a decision, of course, to ship the body back to the States. Uh, it was a fortune. It cost about $5,000. Or they could bury her right there on the Mount of Olives for $500. And the son-in-law, when he heard it, he immediately said, you know, we're going to spare no expense, you know, absolutely, let's make sure she gets back to the States. And the undertaker was touched. He was like, man, that's amazing that you'd care for your mother-in-law that much to spend that kind of cash to make sure she gets back to the States. And he says, oh, I don't know if it's that. I heard one time you buried someone here, and three days later, <laughs> they got back up. Not taking any chances. Felt, felt like I'd encourage your family today, just encourage you. So you glad to be here? You excited to be here? You got your Bibles, John chapter 2. John chapter 2 is going to be my main text today, and I promise to go pretty brief, uh, or be as brief as I can. This, this last week, millions of hearts all around the world ached as we watched one of the world's uh, greatest most celebrated religious monuments uh, be completely devastated by a fire. The Notre Dame Great Cathedral in Paris, France, went up in flames. And this tragedy has left a hole in the heart of Paris, France, really the sacred jewel of architecture and the unknown immeasurable damage that it's caused has, has gripped the attention of the world. And I want to take this tragedy, this event that many watched uh, this last week, and I want to take it to give you insight into the Easter story. I know you're thinking, you're thinking the same thing I was thinking when I saw it, and I just kind of felt this nudge to maybe go in this direction. What does this have to do with the Easter story? And then I was reminded that, interestingly enough, Jesus, in John chapter 2, verse 19, he points to a famous well known temple in his day he pointed to it and he said if you were to destroy this in three days I would raise it back up and everybody that heard him said it's impossible there's no way that took 46 years to build the one we're looking at today took 182 years to build but they said it took 46 years to build that temple it is impossible there's no way that you can raise it up in three days 
That claim that Jesus made we see show up when he's facing the Sanhedrin and he's under trial. They're trying to bring charges against him. They bring up this claim. When Jesus is hanging on the cross in Matthew chapter 27, we see that the crowds as they walk by shaking their heads, mocking the Son of God, they would say that you said you could raise up a temple in three days and you can't even get yourself off of this cross. So we know that surrounding the resurrection story, there is this concept, this idea of a temple being destroyed to illustrate what was about to happen with Jesus. And so the Bible goes on to say that the temple that he was speaking of was actually his body. And so what we see here is that what took 46 years to build, Jesus said, I can take care of it in three days. What takes man a lifetime to build in a moment, I can renew and rebuild it. Jesus was taking the building the destruction and the rebuilding of a famous man-made structure to teach us about the magnitude of the resurrection. Now we would know this is a prophetic analogy that Jesus wasn't speaking about a physical man-made structure as much as he was trying to teach us about how his body would be beaten, his body would be destroyed beyond recognition. There's no way that it should ever be able to be renewed, let alone resurrected, but yet three days later... His body was raised up, it was rebuilt, and it was resurrected. So I want to do the same thing with you as Jesus did then. I want us to look at the destruction of Notre Dame's great cathedrals, cathedral and maybe get some lessons for what the resurrection means to each one of us personally today. Because as the Bible said that Jesus' body was the temple, the Bible teaches us that your body is also the temple of the Holy Spirit. We see it in 1 Corinthians 3, 2 Corinthians 6, Acts 17. Your body is now the temple of the Holy Spirit. That your body is where the Spirit of God lives and dwells. When you invite Christ into your heart, that's where God lives and dwells. The same Spirit that raised up Christ from the bed. The dead, not a similar spirit, the same spirit that raised up Christ from the dead now lives on the inside of you. And so in the same way that Notre Dame's great cathedral faced this devastating fire, your life, the Bible promises, you can't avoid it, you can't skip out on it, there's no getting around it, your life will also face the great fiery trials of life. And so with this idea, I want us to look at three things with this great cathedral tragedy. Number one, why did... Notre Dame's cathedral burned down. Number two, the altar and the charred debris and the ashes that you see in the the great picture behind me. And then number three, the precious treasure that they discovered inside of Notre Dame. I want us to look at these three things together. So number one, why did this great cathedral burn down? Because if we're going to face the fiery trials of life and there's this parallel here, let's understand maybe what happened to it so that it doesn't happen to us. When the fires come, maybe our life doesn't have to be so devastated by them. They said, this is what they actually said, that it was no surprise that the fire happened because the attic of the cathedral, the ceiling, was held up by these massive timbers like a thousand years old. And when you looked at the attic, there was so much timber, they said it looked like a forest. So the nickname of what held up the ornate roof of the cathedral looked like a forest. So the nickname was the forest of the timber that held up the roof. And because of all this timber, they knew that the cathedral was vulnerable. It wasn't a matter of if it would burn down 
when it would burn down. And what they said was that they had made conscious decisions over the years to, uh, to not put firewalls up, to not put sprinkler systems in. And because of those decisions, the, the fire, when it started, it burned out of control. And I think about that and I think about how they had the faulty reasoning behind the decision to not put the protective measures around the timber and they said, they said the reason they did that was because they didn't want to mess with the appearance. They didn't want to mess with the image. They were trying to protect how it looked. Well, your body, the Bible says, is not just the temple of the Holy Spirit, but it says that you are, you personally, nobody else does this for you. You do it. If you don't do it, it's not going to happen for you. You have to take heed the building materials you're using. And then it gives specific examples of the kind of building materials that a lot of people uses. And it uses the the idea that many people use wood, hay, and straw. And the fire is going to come and it's going to reveal what kind of materials you've built your life with. And if you use that wood, the straw, and those kind of materials, then it's going to burn up and you're not going to survive or endure the trials. They're going to completely devastate your life. They're going to completely ruin everything in your life because of the materials you chose to use. And just like they made a conscious choice, many times we know we're making a conscious choice to use materials that are not going to be able to sustain the fiery trials and troubles and struggles of life. Then it says you could use precious stones, gold or silver. And if you'll use those when the fire hits, what's going to be revealed is that you use the right materials so you survive the fires, you endure the fires of life. Now what we know about wood, hay, and straw is they're all things that grow above the ground. They're things that are visible. They're things that the naked eye can see. You can just look out and you can see those things as they grow. And so if all you do is live your life focusing on that which people can see, the image of things, the appearance of things, gaining more and more stuff, more and more stuff, just going after life in a way that it just looks good. It just, everybody can see how good your life looks. Well, if you do that, there's nothing wrong with stuff, but what's wrong is when that's your whole life's pursuit. That's the building materials that you use. And you don't think about any other protective measures. When the fires come, then you need to know you just don't have the building materials that you need to sustain the fires of life. You are making a conscious, faulty decision to build your life with things that cannot endure the fire. They cannot. It's, you're not wired that way. You're not built that way. But you can make the choice to use gold, silver, and precious stones. These are all things that exist beneath the surface, underneath the surface. They're not visible. To, this is the unseen areas of your life. This would be the private areas of your life, the personal areas of your life. Nobody can even see if they're truly there or not. Your walk with God, your walk of faith, living in a way that honors God. And if you'll live your life and you'll build your life with those kind of materials, when the fiery trial of life comes, you will be able to endure it and withstand it and come out on the other side stronger, healthier, and better, and more godly as a result of the trial. Well, we would know that that the building materials matter. They said that even after the fire, the stonework remained intact. The stonework remained intact. Well, in the Old Testament, when God was talking to Nehemiah, he said something really 
peculiar. He said, when you go rebuild the wall in Jerusalem, I want you to use the burned stones. He said, make sure when you go rebuild the wall, you don't throw away the burned stones. Use those burned stones, the stones that have been through the fire. They're charred, they're blackened. And Sanballat mocked Nehemiah because he used the burned stones. The world was mocking Nehemiah because you shouldn't use burned stones. You shouldn't use charred stones. They're not like they should be. They don't look, they're not going to be as strong because of what they've been through. But God said, no, that's the exact kind of stone I want you to use. When I call you to build something, use the burned stones. And I love that about God. When he wants to do something, he doesn't look for perfect people. He doesn't look for people that have it all together. That's not how God does things. He still uses the burned stones in life. I think about Easter weekend and people show up and they've got all kinds of stuff going on in their life. And they've, they've gone through a year and maybe they've been burned by the fires of divorce. Maybe they've been burned by some catastrophic failure in their life. Maybe they've been burned by sin or mistakes, things that have happened at their own hands. Maybe it's something someone else did to them, but they're looking at their life and they're thinking, what value am I? But God's instructions are the same to us as it was Nehemiah. Make sure your stonework is intact and it doesn't matter what you've been through. Actually, what you've been through makes you more suitable to be used by God because when he goes looking for something to build with. He looks for people that have been through the fire. He still desires and longs to use the burn stones in life. And so make sure your building materials are right. Make sure you got the right materials is what we learn from this tragedy, number one. Number two, number two, just, just, just a thought. They said that the, the altar it, it had all this charred debris and these ashes. Now we look at this and we think, that this is not the way an altar should look. Because we're used to altars being really pretty and nice. But altars in the Bible were meant to be messy. Altars were a place of sacrifice and fire. So ashes and altars in the Bible are connected. This is actually the way altars are supposed to look. They're supposed to be really, really messy. You can go, for example, to the place where the Bible says if you'll bring your ashes to God, the burned up areas of your life to God, if you'll not throw them away, but if you'll bring them to him, lay them at his feet, he'll give you beauty in return for the ashes. There's this great Old Testament story that I love so much, one of my favorite Old Testament stories, and it begins in 2 Chronicles chapter 23. And Solomon is being asked by God to finally go rebuild the temple, the beautiful Solomon's temple. One of the, they say if it still stood, it would be one of the seven man-made wonders of the world. Still, its architecture, when it's studied, is still blowing people's minds to this day. And when God said, I want you to build this, this temple, Solomon, I want you to go to Mount Moriah, to the place that I appeared to your father David, to the threshing floor of Ornan. And that doesn't mean a ton to us, but if we were to go back to 1 Chronicles 21, we could read the backstory of what was happening. And the backstory was David had just made the biggest mistake of his life. Most of us think the biggest mistake of David's life is going to be the adultery with Bathsheba or the killing and the murder of Uriah or maybe Ziglag when families and homes were destroyed. Or maybe it was something that happened with Saul or maybe his wife Micah and the struggles that they had. But this was the biggest mistake of David's life and most people don't even know that much about it. It's when he decided to number Israel. And when he decided to number Israel, he was trying to look at his 
who was with him versus the enemy that he had. He knew the enemy outnumbered him. And because of the massive number of his enemy, he wanted to see what the gap was. So he's studying what he has versus what's against him. And he starts to number and God says, don't number. I don't want you to put your confidence in that. That's not really how the battle is won anyway. It matters whose side I'm on. It doesn't matter what the numbers are. It matters whose side I'm on. David, you of all people know this, but David needed to get his confidence from things he could see. And so he goes and he starts numbering. And because of that disobedience, the hand of God lifted, the protection of God lifted, a plague hit Israel and 70,000 people, boom, dropped dead. The whole nation is being shaken. And David comes to God and God begins to talk to David about his disobedience. And David chooses the judgment to be in the hands of God for three days. And the place that God leads David is to Mount Moriah, to the threshing floor of Ornan. And there the Lord appears to David. David builds an altar, brings a sacrifice, sets it on that altar. Fire from heaven comes and consumes the sacrifice and burns the entire top of Mount Moriah. After the Lord appears to David and he comes out of that, ashes are everywhere. As far as the eye can see, all over Mount Moriah, all he can see is that charred, burned, ash-filled mountain. All around the altar is debris and ashes. And David is looking around and he's thinking to himself, man, what good is my life now? I've made this mistake. I did this thing. And now 70,000 people, hearts are broken all over the nation. I can never lead again. I could never do something great again. Look at all the mistakes that I've made and how many people it has hurt. And David is looking around at all those ashes. And that's sometimes how we look at our life. We, we're just looking at all the ashes and we're thinking, what good is this? But ashes are something that God actually wants you to give him. He desires for you to give him the ashes because ashes are your testimony. Ashes represent the things you've been through in life. Ashes represent that you've been through hell on earth. Ashes represent that you face some things on this planet, that you've been through some adversity. Those are the things that still bring a tear to your eye. The ashes are the things that have created a tender place in your heart that you still in times like today, even during songs, there's just a tender place in your heart and it's because of something that you've gone through. And ashes are something that if you'll give them to God, most people just throw their ashes away. They think about their ashes and they throw them away. But if you'll give them to God, you've got to not throw them out, you've got to throw them up. And if you'll throw them up to God, he can do powerful things with ashes. God told Moses, for example, to not throw your ashes out, but to reach in the furnace and throw the ashes up. The Egyptian army's coming in. He throws the ashes up. And as he throws them up, it afflicts the entire Egyptian army is afflicted with boils from the top of their head to the soles of their feet. Did you see what happened when he gave the ashes to God instead of throwing them out? It afflicted the enemy of God's people. And that's what happens with your testimony. That's what happens when you, what you've been through, you give it to God, is it afflicts the devil. It afflicts the enemy in your life. And it lets the enemy know just because you've been through that doesn't, isn't going to define the rest of your life, but God's going to take those ashes and give you beauty because of it and so now we're back to second chronicles 3 where god tells solomon i want you to build the temple but the place i want you to build it is i want you to mount moriah to the threshing floor of ornan to the exact place i appeared to your father david and that's where i want you to build the beautiful solomon's temple 
And so generations would show up and they would walk through Solomon's temple. People like the Queen of Sheba would show up and they'd walk through and they'd see the ornate pillars and they would see the furniture overlaid with gold and they would see the bright and beautiful colors and they would awe and ooh and be so impressed about all the beauty that was around him. But when God looked down at Solomon's temple, he didn't see that. What he saw was the ashes of the worst day in the worst season, in the worst time in David's life. And when God looked down, what he was saying is, when I want to build something great, I go and I look for the ashes that people have given me. And if they'll give me their ashes, I will build something great. I will build something that not only touches other people's life, but I'll build something that people will look at you and say, only God could have done that in that person's life. And so give your ashes to God. And let him give you beauty because of it. And then number three, and we're out of here, is the, the, the treasure of Notre Dame. So we know the Bible teaches us, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7, it teaches us that we have this treasure in earthen vessel, that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. Now, what is that treasure that the Bible's speaking of that we have? And then what was the treasure in the Notre Dame Cathedral that was found. So let's look at these two things. Over 400 firemen showed up to fight the fire. Out of those 400 firemen that were fighting uh, the intense blaze that was destroying the cathedral, 20 of the firemen knew that they had to go fight the fire from the inside out. The only way to stop the fire was going to be to get on the inside. And so they cornered themselves in the bell towers And they begin to fight the fire from the inside. As a result of them doing this, they actually saved the entire cathedral from being devastated and destroyed. They said, had these men not decided to do this, 30 more minutes, the rest of the cathedral would have been destroyed. And so these firemen are fighting the battle of their lives, really the battle of ages, to to save the cathedral. While they're doing that, a fire brigade chaplain and some other people go looking for this precious treasure. They heard that it was in the center or the heart of the cathedral, deep in the cathedral. And so they're looking through the smoke. They're trying to find this great treasure. Finally, they find this chest, this treasure chest. And they go to open it up and it was locked. So they break into the treasure chest. And on the inside, there's not diamonds or gold bars. On the inside, there's three things. Number one, there's the crown of thorns that Jesus wore when he was crucified. Number two, wood that was a part of the actual cross that Jesus died on, and three, one of the nails that pierced either Jesus' hands or his feet. In the treasure, there's three things, the crown of thorns, the wood that Jesus bled and died on, and a nail that pierced his hands or his feet. In the fire, I want you to catch it, in the fire, what they discovered was true treasure is realizing what Jesus has done for you. And if in the fire you're looking around and you're trying to find what is the purpose of this, what's going on, if you, if you want to know why we go through the things we go through in life, it's because God wants us to open up the treasure.
God wants us to open up what he's done for us, wants us to open up who he is, wants us to open up our value, wants us to open up our worth to him and how much Jesus did to let us know that we matter and that we're loved and that we're great in his eyes and that we're the apple of his eyes and that that we mean the world to him. And that's why he sent Jesus. That's the treasure. And if you go into a fire and you come out knowing more of who he is and who you are to him, that, my friend, is true treasure. That's the treasure the Bible says is in our earthen vessel that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. They said, they said as well that the fire brigade chaplain ran out of the flames and he was holding a statue. He was clinging to a statue of Jesus carrying the cross. I thought about that image coming out of the fire and what he's clinging on to is Jesus coming out of the fire and what's closer to his heart than when he went in was the cross and God's son. As he comes out, he's holding tighter onto his relationship with God than when he went in. And the purpose of the fire is to reveal to you when you come out, you and I are to be closer to God than we went in. It's called the fourth man in the fire. And they actually have a picture that was going all over social media that was a silhouette of Jesus, they said. Whether it is or not, I don't know. But what we do know is that the Bible says when you're in the fire, look around. The fourth man is in the fire with you. Somewhere in there, God is there. You may not see him, but if you'll stop, pause, look around, you will find that God always is faithful to be in the fires of life. And when we come out, we're to come out with that true treasure. We're to come out closer to him as a result of what we went through. Now, I'm closing with this. It's called the Battle of Waterloo. The Battle of Waterloo was England was fighting France and Napoleon. And the way that they would communicate how the battle was going is they had signal men that would stand on the hilltops and they would hold up these signs, these posters, and communicate from hilltop to hilltop until the message reached, reached London where they had this big billboard this big bulletin board where they would put the messages so the people would know how the battle was going. Well, at one point that was very critical in the battle, the signalmen are communicating from hilltop to hilltop, and on the bulletin, bulletin board there in London, it read, Wellington defeated. Well, smoke and fog had got in, in the way of the signalmen from hilltop to hilltop, and so that's how the message read, Wellington defeated. No one knew that it was an incomplete message. And so the people read it and immediately they ran to their houses. They started to get their affairs affairs in order. They were broken, thinking about the invasion, what would happen to their stuff, their homes, their families. How would they escape? They're making their plans. Everybody's sad and their hearts are broken because in their minds they've just lost the battle. But eventually the smoke cleared and the fog lifted, and when it did, they were able, the signalmen were able to send the final word. There was one word missing from the message, and it was the word Napoleon. Wellington defeated Napoleon. And because they read a completed message, they went from hiding in their houses in fear, afraid, heartbroken, to now they're out in the streets, they're celebrating, they're rejoicing because they read a complete message. And I feel like Easter weekend, you need to be reminded that the devil had his Waterloo as well. 
that on Good Friday 2,000 years ago, they crucified Jesus. And on a bulletin board in hell, it read, Jesus defeated. And for three days, darkness covered the earth. And in their minds, hell is rejoicing. Hell has won this great victory. But we would know that it was an incomplete message. Because on the third day, the devil would have to add a word to that phrase. And it was, Jesus defeated the devil. And that's our message. That's what Easter is about. That God can raise up anything he wants to raise up. It doesn't matter how devastated it is. And you got to get the complete message that the same way God raised up Jesus... God can raise you up. Can I get a big amen? Come on, can we give God's word a good hand clap together?